And now, an Arizona PBS original production. Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you. Welcome to Books and Company. Bienvenidos todos. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by Edgar Cantero, talking about his latest book, This Body's Not Big Enough for Both of Us. Welcome, Edgar. Hi. Book is published by Doubleday, and this is quite a book, I have to say, as I uh, came to it and opened up the first pages. It took me a little bit of a... Uh, uh, a little while to, to start to sort out what I was reading. And in retrospect, I found that very exciting. In the moment, it was difficult. <laughs> Maybe you can tell us a little bit about this book. I understand. Uh, this book is essentially a noir parody starring a private detective who is actually uh, genetic chimera. It's a brother and a sister trapped in the same body. And is this real? Is that a real thing? Or did you, or uh, you, you don't want to answer that? <laughs> genetic chimeras are real. Okay. This case in particular in which uh, uh, both of them happen to uh, uh, share uh, uh, a part of the brain apiece. So they both have personality and voice. Uh, that, of course, uh, I don't think it has happened yet, but uh, <laughs> you can't prove it can't happen. Got it. Okay. And so they, they have a detective agency. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think they, uh, they explain at some point that it seems like the logical, uh, the one job that they can both be uh, happy with. Uh, the left brain, Adrian, the male, uh, thinks it's a rational work, so he, he, can, he can put his uh, logic to use. And Zoe, who is the creative side, the right brain, thinks it's a cliché, and she enjoys clichés. She mm -hmm. enjoys uh, art, and she mm -hmm. enjoys being part of a, a movie-like story. Mm -hmm. It's not quite Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in one person, but sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> yes. Uh, the main difference would be that uh, uh, in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it was clear who was good and who was evil. Mm -hmm. And in this one, it is not at all. Mm -hmm. It's sibling rivalry. It's not good and evil. It's bickering. It is uh, constant bickering. It's, it's uh, opposed personalities. But uh, above all, it's like uh, two people who, uh, two siblings who think, I guess, at the beginning that uh, each one of them should be, uh, would be better without the other. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have to learn that actually that doesn't work that way, that uh, both of them alone are terribly dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they, don't, they don't just oppose each other, they complement each other. Mm -hmm. Hard for them to see that, though, as they're living it. Right? Absolutely. Uh, hard for them uh, to live it. I mean, yeah. it's one of my most uh, tortured creations. <laughs> you only have to imagine... Uh, uh, their everyday life. Yeah. We only we only offer slices here, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they have it really tough. So their names are Adrian uh -huh. and Zoe. Uh huh. Uh, Kimrian. Yes. Where did you get the name Kimrian? Just out of curiosity. I think 
it's a bad spelling of chimera okay. with uh, uh, a few letters uh, okay. interchanged. And uh, actually kind of made sense because it could mean something like Welshman. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it, it, it might even exist as a, as a surname. Okay, all right. And Adrian and Zoe, that A to Z, that the opposite ends of the... Yes, the uh, alpha and the omega. There you go, there you go. Well, they, this, um, this read, if I was just going to take a page, it's a very rich page. Language and leaps and connections and noise and all sorts of things going on all the time. It is exhausting in the beginning because we're not prepared to read a page that way. It's not a normal narrative. Is that fair to say? It, uh, um, it starts with a very good rhythm. Uh, uh, we have a, a cold opening. Mm-hmm. I, I insisted in, in, in putting like a prologue that uh, goes even before the title page. And uh, yes, uh, uh, you, the reader walks in there uh, with uh, no expectations whatsoever. Or, or preparation. <laughs> exactly. And uh, uh, yes, and a lot of stuff happens in, in 25 pages. I, I, I drew a lot of inspiration from the, um, from the highway scene in the first Deadpool movie for that scene. Okay. I, I, I wanted that to makes do, sense. I wanted to do the kind of thing that is a, a, a puzzle with, you know, several things happening and flashes of the future and the uh-huh. past and... and yeah, and, and a very chaotic fight. It, 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 interestingly, it is chaotic, but only within the tableau that you present. It's not, it's not uh, you know, universally chaotic. It's not a chaotic book. But on any given page, you have an almost stream of consciousness connection to everything, but only relative to what you're presenting. So they might talk about the wall or the window or certainly the roadrunner, uh-huh. for example. And, and you make a lot of connections there, but it stays controlled within that uh, series of things that you present, which I found uh, quite exciting, and, and ultimately it got easier and easier to follow. I like to uh, uh, describe things not as, a, uh, um, you know, not as an omniscient narrator, mm-hmm. but as a, uh, kind of like as characters appreciate them in mm-hmm. that order. Mm-hmm. And um, Zoe has a, incredibly scattered attention so yeah it's logical that she you know she uh, uh, um, when I'm describing scenes Mm -hmm. and I see it through her eyes Mm -hmm. uh, yes I go for uh, (laughs) very uh, very crazy uh, descriptions and Mm -hmm. and elements that don't seem to make sense but Mm -hmm. ultimately what they will Mm -hmm. they do it all comes together very very nicely in that way Um, this reminds me of a book by GK Chesterton the man who would be Thursday in, in the sense that it just seems to fill uh, the page with a, a, a blossoming of ideas. It doesn't, it doesn't take the easy way through, and it doesn't just give you one pathway. And that might largely be Zoe. It gives you options all the time so that if this is a detective novel, it is. We, we even they don't know where they're going. They don't know what to do, and it, 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 it ends up getting increasingly surprising. It's a, it's a difficult novel because if you, if you try to see it from the uh, uh, mindset of the two protagonists, uh-huh. uh, so Adrian is the rational one, mm-hmm. left brain, so uh, 
he understands that uh, their case, the mystery, has to follow logic, our logic, the one mm -hmm. uh, you and I share. Mm -hmm. Zoe, who at the beginning seems to have n no sense of reason whatsoever, and, and, and you know, and, and does such stupid things as uh, checking if a gun is loaded by actually shooting, shooting. at her face. Um, she actually has her own kind of logic, which is um, artistic logic, literary logic. Mm -hmm. She thinks that uh, the mystery has to be, uh, doesn't need to be realistic, but it has to be, you know, literary. Mm -hmm. It has to follow certain rules. For instance, it cannot be a deus ex machina, mm -hmm. because that would be bad writing. Mm -hmm. And her life, to her, it's a novel or it's a noir film. It has to be good writing. So it's almost like metafiction. You are, you are, you are bringing the reader in. It's almost a, a conversation with the reader as well. Although the, the great device here is, it's like them talking to each other. Absolutely, I, it's uh, um, they break the fourth wall a lot. They do a lot, and, uh, and but, I, not, but and not, I, not loudly. I mean, it, it's subtle. Well, I think. and I do it as a narrator often, and I, yeah. I, 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 I I've done it in, in, in several books before. And, and this one maybe it makes a little more sense only because uh, because uh, Zoe is happy to play a, a, a cliche. She loves being a private detective, a decadent private detective, right. you know, in this uh, 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 poorly lit office, <laughs> you know, smoking in a tank top, and she she she, she likes that kind of life. Uh -huh. So uh, uh, we we are. I am always highlighting how. Uh, uh, cliched everything is, how, how, she, it's how stereotypical like it is. She, she takes every detective cliche, it's right, oh, right out of Mickey yes. Spillane. And, yeah, and, and she know. enjoys it. <laughs> she, she not only enjoys it, uh, she goes so cliched, she finds something new to say every time we, we encounter that. Yeah, she, um, she likes cliches, and uh, like me, and... Uh, and yet she knows how to subvert them, subvert, mm -hmm. subvert them when it's necessary. Mm -hmm. Like uh, uh, at some point when uh, uh, the girl, the, the femme fatale comes in and she's not happy with her role as a femme fatale at all, <laughs> uh, Zoe is the first to say, well, actually, you know, a femme fatale is just, uh, you know, a, a, an obsolete device created by male authors uh, and it's a very... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a very toxic yeah. <laughs> cliche, actually. Yeah. So you don't have to incarnate it if you don't want to. <laughs> so yeah, she 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 she's she, she's woke like that yeah. in that she 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 knows her world. She enjoys it. She knows which parts are positive and negative. Uh, um, if you do a parody of of, of a genre that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, peaked maybe like, I don't know, uh, 60, <laughs> 70 years ago. Yeah, you have to do these kind of things to adapt it to modern times. Well, and it's fun to watch her. She's almost writing the book in front of us as readers. She is just, she, she is giving you information about how the, how the genre should work. Yeah. And so it is cliched in some ways, but she's also helping us through the story. <laughs> yes, uh, she, she, uh, um... I think her logic, I mean, her expectations of the story kind of feed that, those of the reader. Because mm -hmm. um, what I like about uh, noir, what I like about writing genre fiction is that people have uh, an expectations. Mm -hmm. The moment you, you put them in the noir mindset, they know this comes with a set of rules. Right. 
a good set of rules for uh, a good pair of rules for instance is uh, and Zoe says this in the book that um, the moment you open a, a private detective office and you put your name uh, on the glass panel on the door with the uh, letters a private detective only two kinds of people will come through that door which is femme fatales and thugs who come to pummel your teeth in mm -hmm. and uh, she absolutely <laughs> abides by, by that rule but Actually, the book abides by that rule. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and she, she is uh, making commentary on that. But Adrian, on the other hand, he is a private detective. I yes. mean, he's like Sherlock Holmes. He's very obsessive yes. and, and good. And yet Adrian is kind of dismissive in that, you know. Adrian is, yeah. is the one who thinks uh, he lives in the real world. Actually, mm -hmm. he lives in their <laughs> real world. Well, I'd like to just take a moment to remind our viewers you're watching Books & Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by New York Times bestselling author Edgar Cantero talking about his latest book, This Body's Not Big Enough for the Both of Us. I love that title. I just, every time I, I, I read it, I, I think it makes me laugh. It's my editor's, actually. It's not it's even your, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this body's not big enough for the both of us. Uh, as we read through the book, we start to see how that is an actual statement of of how these people are living together. It's, there's not enough room. They're both full entities. Absolutely. And, and you have some plot devices that help them to sometimes be on their own. Yes. Uh, um, uh, the Cimbrians have a, a long-time doctor. They've had many doctors. They've been institutionalized very often since Misunderstood. early childhood. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the first uh, uh, doctor who... Uh, correctly di diagnose them is um, the one who provides them sometimes with a drug. Mm -hmm. In this case, um, to, uh, sort of let's say, kind of, yeah, kind diminishes of put the... to sleep the right brain a little mm -hmm. so that the left one can function correctly. That allows uh, Adrian to take over, mm -hmm. essentially. And uh, then, uh, because of a plot twist, of course, we get to see... Uh, Adrian sleeping and Zoe taking over as well. And of course, both things happen at the worst time possible. <laughs> uh, 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 Adrian takes over exactly when the most empathy and, uh, is, is needed. needed yeah. Yeah, when, when the femme fatale comes by, uh, by his office. And um, Zoe uh, takes over actually when you have to come up with a solution to the mystery. <laughs> This, this is, uh, it, it's, uh, that, that, as we're even s speaking about it, it's funny. And there's a lot of humor in the book and, and breaking through the cliches, very funny. W what guides you as a writer, though? Is it the humor or is it the plot or good writing? Or where, where do you, where do you the humor that? The humor doesn't guide me. It's more like a thing that I can't prevent. Okay. Um, I, I, I... I you know, when I come up with a joke, I just have to put it. And um, no matter what, huh? No matter what. <laughs> and the Cimbrians, in that, this is probably my, my most uh, humorous novel to date. Okay. Uh, because they allow for this. Being two, whatever yeah. joke I can come up with, I can actually insert it and, mm -hmm. and, and chalk it up to one of them. Right. You know, like I, I often think, well, I, I, I love this joke, but I, I can't uh, write this because this is too stupid. My, my hero wouldn't, wouldn't say this. But actually, it's like, no, this Zoe could say this. Could Absolutely. Say um, 
So humor, no. Humor is just, you know, uh, uh, something that I, I can't remove. Okay. I guess plot, good writing, well, my, uh, yeah, I, 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 of course I aim for good writing. And uh, a sense of, 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 of uh, you know, of cinematic fiction. I, hmm. I, I like, uh, I want to make sure that my books read like you know like play movies in your head mm -hmm. I, I, I go for that even when you're writing it it occasionally lapses into as you're reading it on the page into play or screenwriting form yes it does right <laughs> that's a, a, a that's not exclusive to this book it's a thing that I, I I've I started doing with my uh, books in Catalan and it's because we should uh, say you speak three languages and you, yes I do your uh, native languages two native languages and, and Spanish and Catalan English, yes. and, and now English okay and it's because uh, the, the screenplay form a thing. It's simply because um, sometimes when I'm writing dialogue and I, I want it to be like really snappy, really mm -hmm. fast paced. And if it's, uh, you know, especially if it's between more than two people, you have to mm, interrupt constantly to say, he said, she right. answered, uh, he asked, she retorted, that kind of thing. Uh, writing in screenplay format makes everything quicker. Makes it you go right through it exactly, yeah. and uh, I know. I mean, it's 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 not a uh, it's not a tool for novelists, maybe. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. But it exists, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll, I'll I'll use whatever I need to to mm -hmm. to convey this sense of of, of rhythm, the speed. And so will Zoe and Adrian. Absolutely, <laughs> they'll use whatever <laughs> they need too. So it, it it works well. I don't think that's a device that that. Uh, well, it, it alienates a lot of readers, but uh, but I keep doing it, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you have uh, a, a number of characters in here, and uh, you have maybe let's let's call it the loud plot. You know, there's something going on. We've mm -hmm. got this these detectives, and they've got to find the killers and, and and things like that. Who killed whom, and that that sort of thing. But in the process, you have a periphery of characters. You have other characters who are in a diner, let's say, or in a, you know, uh, along the highway or whatever. What I, what I appreciated by the end of the novel is, and I, you can determine what you want to call this, there were no ultimately cardboard characters. Everybody had a role that was not decorative. <laughs> it was ultimately active. Is that fair? I wouldn't uh, oppose cardboard characters. For instance, okay. there there is a, a character that the um, police commissioner, I think, who is essentially you know it's like this uh, uh, big movie cliche, you know, the uh, fat cop eating donuts who just you know mm -hmm. uh, you know he's the kind of guy mm -hmm. who tells the hero, "Give me your badge and your gun. You're not working anymore." Right. Right. Um, and and he's exactly that. I mean, he's a working archetype. Mm -hmm. um, and I love him to stay that way. Well, <laughs> but, and I get it. I, I think it's when you're working with the cliche that we have those cardboard characters. But more happens. And you, you add to the genre in, in, a, in a way by, by thinking beyond that cliche that I, I have to say I came to really love by the end of the book. I try to make sure, you know, I, 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 another thing I aim for is brevity. Okay. And I, I, I like to make sure that everything I, I bring up actually has a, a purpose. Okay. I don't, 
I don't create background characters. I don't name characters if I don't think that they can actually, you know, if they, I don't think that the, the story cannot move forward without them. You even say that at one point. You say, and there's a third character who I won't even name because I don't think they're going to survive the next page. Yes, I remember <laughs> that. That's true. And actually, now remembering that in Meddling Kids, I kind of did something uh, similar. My previous novel, I did something pretty similar. <laughs> <laughs> It made me laugh in, 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 the, in the sense that you were playing, you were again, uh, or Zoe at, at that point, I think, was writing the book in front of us, you know, that, uh, yeah, or I, conceptualizing it. I guess kind of, you know, uh, uh, um, yeah, my, my, my Zoe possesses me when I'm writing at times. <laughs> I, I, I obviously write more with my right brain than with my left brain, that's, that's for sure. Okay, okay. Well, let me ask you a, a kind of a personal question. Do you live your life the way you you write? I mean, is, is that what it's like to hang out with, with Edgar? <laughs> uh, well, uh, um, you know, I wouldn't mind being a cliche myself. <laughs> and I probably am in many ways that I am not aware. But um, no, I, 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 I hope I am not as decadent as them. But uh, if I am one of them, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of Zoish as a novelist. I am, okay. uh, uh, for instance, I'm, I'm considering that um, Adrian and Zoe play chess for some reason mm -hmm. against each other, even though only one of them seems suited for the, for the game. And writing this made me think that uh, uh, chess is probably the sport that I am uh, least adapted for. Because uh, you know, chess is is essentially it's a it's a well, it's a logical game. Logic. It's a planner's game. Right, right. It's a mathematical right. game. It's it's a, uh, you have to 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 uh, play thinking uh, you know in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I am incapable of that, even when I'm writing a novel. I usually go for the sensational effect first, mm -hmm. without thinking in long term at all. Uh, that shows sometimes. <laughs> I th no, I think it shows very often. So uh, well, yes, absolutely. I I I I kind of live like Zoe. <laughs> well, you might have also come to the heartbeat of the of the book, talking about chess, because when they're playing a game, Zoe her pawn reaches uh, the end and she trades it in. Yes. But not for a queen. Yeah, which is what, she promotes to a knight. Which, to a knight, which which nobody would do, says Adrian. Exactly, <laughs> but uh, uh, she does, and, and and maybe that's her talent, thinking mm -hmm. outside the box. Mm -hmm. Well, she does that very well, and she does it all the time. She never thinks inside the box, and that I, I think I used the word exhausting at the beginning, and sometimes it's a little exhausting. So, you can see where the bickering comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like okay. uh, 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 somebody uh, believes in rules and, and, and is following them. Yeah. Not actual like, you know, societal rules because uh, uh, both of them are like uh, very transgressive when it comes to that. Right. But uh, yeah, kind of, you know, uh, genre rules. Those, uh, I, that's it. Genre right. rules and, 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 and yeah, mm -hmm. kind of philosophical rules in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Zoe is always uh, looking for ways to uh, uh, work around them. Mm. Well, physically, how did you write this book? Did you have a big outline? Was it, did you just invent as you wrote? How did it work? Um, 
Let me start by saying this is the first book I've published that I didn't write in the language it was published. Ah. I started it in, in no, I, I wrote it fully in Spanish in 2013. That was before Medlin Kids, my previous novel. And fully uh, in Spanish. Yes, absolutely. So this exists already. Uh, not in this, not in this finished fashion. Yeah, not in this finished fashion, and and, and a few scenes were changed. Like when I translated it. I kind of translated slash rewrote it, mm -hmm. which probably you know is what every translator is tempted to do. But sure. they usually but you get to be the translator. Yeah, they owe an allegiance to the original, but I don't. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't remember. You know, uh, I can tell you that my usual procedure, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I didn't do anything new with this, was, uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, uh, Come up with the plot as I go, okay. because um, yeah, I, I I go for the big effect. I, I go for something aesthetic. I, I just generally I, out there. I kind of know yeah. that you know it's a noir story, so it has to start in an office. Then uh, uh, we move to a police station. There's an exposition of the case. Uh, then we. Uh, uh, I think we traveled to San Carnal, which is mm -hmm. the, the yeah. uh, city in California where, <laughs> where uh, the mystery takes place. Carnal works on a lot of levels. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, for the first chapter, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, and, and halfway through the book, I'm just, you know, following what I expect that a movie or any book would do uh -huh. without analyzing the plot, without analyzing why they do it. Okay. I just think... Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, we probably need an action sequence, big action sequence here. So here's a big action sequence, okay. and, and later we, you know, we 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 can uh, build the plot as we go. We'll we'll tie all the loose ends at the end. Okay. We're and, using word processors then, so we can you, just. You do. It does all come <laughs> together, and I, I have to say, I struggled at the beginning. I think it was difficult to enter, not in a bad way. Just I wasn't prepared for what I was reading, and then slowly I started to love that. Yeah, but the, uh, uh, the Cambrians are not even explained in the cold opening. Like all this right. uh, uh, genetic chimera thing is explained oh. in in chapter one after the title page, maybe page forty or something like that. <laughs> so until then, you are Good just luck. yeah, uh, uh, you, you're lost. But. Uh, but I'm giving you a lot of jokes and explosions, so you are. that's a good thing. <laughs> and it worked. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I would like to thank our viewers. You've been watching Books and Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We've been joined today by New York Times bestselling author Edgar Cantero talking about his latest book, This Body is Not Big Enough for Both of Us. Please join us again next time when we'll be bringing you another good book. Edgar, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you.